The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Thanks for joining us. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. eat better, get healthy, and help animals. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. My dog and I met somebody wonderful today. We went to a vegan veterinarian. There are signs on the clinic window telling people about the cruelty of coats from Canada Goose. Now, the day is going to come, and I am sure of this, when there will be peace on earth for all beings. Until then, it's really nice to sometimes find a new kindred spirit. Hi, everybody, and thanks so much for listening. I am your host, Victoria Moran, and you can learn more about all that goes on in the world of Main Street Vegan at MainStreetVegan.net. This week, we've got a really powerful blog post from attorney and Main Street Vegan Academy graduate, Shawnee Jane, calling on highest decency. It's about the climate crisis and how each of us can be part of the solution. My guest today has been a solutionary throughout his entire adult life and probably as a kid too. <laughs> now we know him for his expertise in medicine and health and animal protection and also for tackling the naughty question, what should you do when you want to be a rock musician? And the answer is you should be a rock musician, which is something that he does on the side when he's not saving lives and changing the world as president of Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine. So, you know, I am talking about none other than Neil Barnard, MD, adjunct professor of medicine at George Washington University School of Medicine. He's known for groundbreaking research studies showing that type 2 diabetes is a potentially reversal condition, reversible condition for many patients and also tackling a range of other serious conditions. And he's now getting into a surprising new area, how foods affect our hormones. And his fabulous, brand new, in fact, not even quite out yet, but you can get it on the pre-order, Your Body in Balance, the new science of food, hormones, and health. Welcome, Dr. Neil Barnard. Well, thank you, Victoria. It's nice to be talking with you again. Well, it's nice to talk with you always. And the book is terrific. I just got it late yesterday afternoon. So I have been kind of speed reading. And as I was telling you just before the show, it's so accessible, solid science and yet accessible by those of us who ventured more into the humanities. So thank you for being able to translate science for somebody like me. Well, thank you for saying that. I have to say I was particularly concerned about that with this book because 
we're talking about things that are new for people. I mean, people are sort of used to hearing about uh, changing their diet to try to lose some pounds or to, to get their diabetes under better control, but people are not used to hearing about a diet change for menstrual cramps or for fertility or for erectile dysfunction or prostate cancer, th these kinds of things. So it's a little bit new territory and I'm, I'm, I'm glad if, it, uh, if it's clear. It, it is very clear and it's gonna be clearer for everybody as we go through this hour. I'm so glad that you brought up a couple of conditions that affect men because last week we had two wonderful plant-based OBGYNs on. It was a terrific show. And yet I'm thinking somebody looking at the list might think, well, what's happened? Is this becoming, you know, an all-female program? But just because you're talking about hormones, men and women both have hormones. All people, all animals have hormones. So tell us how, how can foods relate to hormone-related problems? Yeah, I'll tell you, in, in ways that struck me as kind of mysterious at first, and, and actually, let me let me start off by talking about women's health a little bit. And I was sitting here at my desk, and the phone rang, and it was a young woman who said, Dr. Barnard, I need your help. I can't get out of bed. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, I've got such bad cramps, and it happens to me every, every month, maybe one day or a day and a half, I just can't even move. And many women have cramps, but for some, they really are off the scale. And that was her situation. And so I thought, okay, um, let me give you some painkillers for a couple of days. But how do we stop this from recurring next month and the month after that and the month after that? So I started to think about how foods could dial her hormones back into better balance. And so anyway, I, I, I suggested something that I'm sure she thought was totally off the wall. And and most doctors would probably not understand why I'd suggested this, but I said, let me give you painkillers for a couple of days. But how about this? For the next month, no animal products at all. I'm gonna make you a vegan, plus keep oils to a just bare minimum. And she said, well, I don't know, I'll try it. But she called me back the next month and her period arrived, basically no symptoms at all. And, and every month after that, she was cured. Uh, unless she just uh, wandered away from the diet and then the pain came back. So I then did a, a randomized clinical trial of the same approach with a large group of women who had the same problem. And we found that this diet change of a combination of a vegan diet plus really, really cutting the fat out um, helped with PMS, with pain, and with one other thing that turned out to be a surprise. Uh, one of the women in this study that we did uh, we asked them all to not use birth control pills or, or any hormones because that would goof up the, the hormones that we were measuring. Um, and one of the women in the study said, don't worry about me. I don't use the pill. I don't use anything. I'm infertile. She said she and her husband had wanted to have a, a family. They'd been evaluated. And it wasn't him. She said, it's me. I just don't ovulate. The second month that she was on the, the plant-based diet, she came in and said, I've, I've got... Um, I got some news for you. I, I, I've got to drop out of your study because I am pregnant. My um, and, and she had a, a child and then she had another child and a child after that. And so anyway, I haven't yet described why this diet works. But what I'm the point is that for so many different conditions that we know are hormonally driven, if you choose foods in the right way, the hormones get back into the right balance and the problems can be solved. And, and you give so many amazing stories of solving problems. One pretty early in the book is 
a, a woman who recovered from endometriosis, which my goodness, talk about painful periods. My understanding is that's painful, heavy periods on, on steroids. And when she went back to her doctor in recovery and told him about her dietary change, he said something to the effect of, oh, no, it couldn't be that. It must be a miracle. That's right. Um, by the way, these are all real people. That, that is, that's Catherine Lawrence, who was in the Air Force. Um, and uh, after she got out of the Air Force, she was gaining a lot of weight, and she developed endometriosis. And it, it's a horrible condition for many women. And, and it also leaves them infertile. And he was going to do a hysterectomy on her. Um, but after within six weeks of the, her diet change, her endometriosis was was gone. Um, what, 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 maybe I should describe like why this works because it sounds peculiar. You know, go vegan and solve all your problems. Um, th th there are a couple of, of things. The first is that your ovaries in a woman's body, the ovaries make estrogens, but you also have a way of naturally reining them in so they're not too much. If you have too much estrogen in your blood. That can make the cramps accentuated. It can make the endometriosis grow. It's like fertilizer on, on weeds. It just makes them grow. So you, you need to get rid of some excess estrogen and your liver will do that. Your liver filters your blood and it pulls excess estrogens out of the bloodstream and it sends them through the bile duct, which leads into the intestinal tract and your estrogens go from the liver to the intestine and actually out into the toilet. That's, what, that's what's supposed to happen. But this only works if you have fiber in your diet and fiber is the roughage in vegetables and fruits and beans and whole grains. The fiber really escorts those estrogens out of the body. So let's say for lunch you had salmon and yogurt. Um, those are not plants, so they don't have any fiber. And so your body actually ends up, it still sends the, the, the uh, estrogens still go into the intestinal tract, but without adequate fiber, they're reabsorbed back into the bloodstream and so your, your estrogens are just cycling around and around and around and around causing problems. So the answer, bring the beans back, bring in the vegetables and fruits and whole grains, and you can cut that off and get rid of those, those excess estrogens. So you're dialing back into the right zone. Now, just clarify something here. So I can understand that for menstrual issues, for fertility, you would want less estrogen. But this also helps with menopausal symptoms when women are dealing with producing less estrogen. How can it help in both circumstances? Um, well, the short, the, shorter answer, the short answer is that, well, let, let me give you the longer answer. Um, <laughs> back, back, sorry. back in, in uh, the 1960s in Japan, uh, the, the diet was not quite vegan, but it was uh, really lots and lots and lots of rice and lots of vegetables. And if meat was used at all, it was a kind of a flavoring for the rice and so forth. And there was no Japanese word for hot flashes. If you would ask women who were going through menopause, they would say, oh yeah, you know, I have some symptoms, a little backache here or there. They really were not reporting symptoms very much. It was, it was basically nothing. It's not like you hear today. When the Japanese diet westernized because McDonald's came in and, and so forth, uh, hot flashes started coming in a big way, and so did breast cancer, and so did diabetes, and weight gain, and cardiovascular disease, and so forth. And so what we think was happening was that when the women were on a very low-fat, almost entirely plant-based diet, their estrogen levels were naturally lower for many years going up to menopause. 
so that when menopause occurred, it was not such a big change. It wasn't such a big transition. Now, in the other hand, let's say they're eating cheese and meat and other zero fiber foods, high fat foods, and dairy products have estrogens in them. So their estrogen level is artificially high. And then when they reach the change at menopause, they get what's almost like estrogen withdrawal. Um, that's how we're interpreting it. Whether that is, is the way, is, it, we need more research to really know how true that is, but that's what seems to be happening. That a woman who's got artificially elevated estrogen prior to menopause is gonna have a really rough time at menopause. That said, if a woman is having hot flashes now, there are researchers who are finding benefit from using soy protein, um, which they are thinking has, um, it has a way of acting with, interacting with estrogen receptors in a helpful way. It doesn't increase breast cancer risk at all, but it seems to uh, affect the beta uh, receptors and it might seem to calm down the body. You, uh, the researchers are often using not actually just soy foods, like tofu, they're sometimes using soy powders to get a higher amount. Um, so stay tuned on that one. Wow, fascinating. So let, let's do talk about men uh, for a minute. How are foods and hormones issues for men? You know, uh, one of the ones that's really a surprise is, is when men are uh, having fertility issues of their own. Uh, they may not think about this, but uh, there are estrogens, female sex hormones, in cheese. Cows on dairy farms are impregnated annually, and their pregnancy lasts nine months out of every 12. And so when they're pregnant, they're cranking out estrogens, and the estrogens get into milk, and when it's turned into cheese, they're more concentrated. So researchers in Rochester, New York, looked at a group of men who were in a fertility clinic, and they quantified their cheese intake and found that the more cheese they ate, the lower their sperm counts. And what and, and also there's something called sperm morphology, meaning the shape, and sperm motility, meaning do they move right? And the men who ate the most cheese had the most problems with creating viable sperm. And what we think is happening is that a man normally has a lot of testosterone or some testosterone and a tiny bit of estrogen. We think that the cheese eaters were getting a lot of it or a lot more estrogen. Now, it's only a trace, but but a man eats maybe 35 pounds of cheese per year, plus ice cream, plus milk, plus butter, plus um, whatever dairy products are baked into the cookies and things he's eating. And we think it's more than enough to disrupt uh, fertility. Um, and one other thing, the guy, in order to function sexually, the man has to have a good blood flow. Uh, the guy walks into the, to the doctor's office and he says to the doctor, you know, I'm having trouble with my nature. And the doctor says, you mean you've got ED? The guy says, yeah, yeah, I do. Um, what the doctor has to explain to the man is that this is not performance anxiety. The reason that he has erectile dysfunction is that he has impaired blood flow. The, the arteries to his heart, the arteries to his brain, the arteries to his kidneys, and the arteries to his own private parts have all been narrowed by a high cholesterol diet and a high, high saturated fat diet, a high blood cholesterol level. And so uh, if he changes to a plant-based diet, those arteries open up again. Very exciting. So how about cancer? And we're talking men, women, everybody. It, it just seems like such an epidemic. What can we do? Well, it is an epidemic. Um, Let's stay with men for for the moment. Yeah. Uh, one one of the most 
prominent kinds of cancer is prostate cancer. Uh, many men get it. Um, in fact, let me, well, we've known for quite some time, uh, more than 20 years, Harvard did two big studies showing that men who consume the most milk have the most prostate cancer. We think it's uh, partly a hormonal issue, um, partly uh, when you drink milk, your body makes more of a certain compound called insulin-like growth factor that will cause prostate cancer cells to grow. So um, two Harvard studies showed that milk drinking men have a higher risk of prostate cancer. And there was a, an amazing story about how powerful a diet change can be. I don't know if you remember Tony Satellero, who wrote a, a wonderful book called Recalled by Life. He was a, a doctor, uh, he was the president of Methodist Hospital in Philadelphia. And uh, one day he had his employee physical at the hospital and to his surprise, to everybody's surprise, his chest x-ray showed densities all up and down his ribs and his sternum. And it turned out he had metastatic prostate cancer, uh, which he was, he, he, he was dumbfounded by this. This is a, a complete surprise. And what was worse is he was only 45. To have advanced cancer at that young age is a death sentence. Um, to make everything worse, his own father was dying of lung cancer and his father did die. And so Tony went up to New Jersey to bury his father and console his mother. And then he thought, all right, well, in the time I've got left, which was months, not years, he decided he was going to go back to Philadelphia and just be a good doctor. So he got on the New Jersey Turnpike and as he was driving back down to Philly, uh, he happened to see some hitchhikers beside the road and he pulled over to pick them up, mostly to have somebody to talk to. And as fate would have it, they had just gotten out of macrobiotic cooking school. <laughs> and so they were full of it. They said, oh, doc, so what if you got advanced cancer? You know, make some brown rice and miso soup and you'll be fine. Yeah. And he, he was just, he found these kids like totally annoying. Like they, they didn't understand that he, he didn't need to hear some yin yang mumbo jumbo. Um, but uh, before they got out of the car, they pried loose his address. and. And they promised to send him a book, which they did. A couple of days later, he got a package, 67 cents postage due. Um, <laughs> and so he opens it up, talks all about a macrobiotic diet. And, and he ended up thinking, I, 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 this doesn't sound believable. You know, eating rice and vegetables is going to help me. But on the other hand, tell me my other choice. So he decided to try it. And he went to the macro, a, a macrobiotic center in Philadelphia. And they taught him how to make brown rice. And then he went went home and like blew up his pressure cooker you know, he, like he had a lot of trouble with it but he, he ended up um getting rice and vegetables and things at the macrobiotic center and he'd walk into the physician's dining room with his chopsticks and the other doctors thought here's the here's this poor slob you know trying to do some quackery before he dies except that tony did not die you know a month went by and another month and another month and he felt better um a lot better and at six months he was alive and he, he kind of forgot about his cancer. And at, at 12 months, he went back down to radiology and he repeated his bone scans. And that made medical history because he had had metastatic cancer all up and down his ribs, his sternum, his skull. And after a year, it was completely gone. It was just gone. And so he became uh, well known in the medical community. He, and he wrote this book called Recalled by Life. And he went on all the talk shows. He says, I don't know how this works, but we have an obligation to understand this. If we can, if we can take a hormonal cancer and turn it around with a diet change, let's study it. So 10 years later, I got to know him. And he was 
healthy and vigorous. And I've seen his scans and it is true. I mean, his cancer went away. Um, but then a little while after that, Tony told me something really frightening. He said, uh, Neil, I've, I'm doing an experiment. I, I'm stopping the diet because I've been well for so long. And he wanted to see if he could do, still do okay with a more liberalized diet, but he didn't. Um, his hands started to swell up. He started getting edema all over. Um, his, 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 his health really degenerated quickly. And, and I, I called him up a little bit after this and his voice was just strange. Like he was on drugs or something. And I said, Tony, what's with you? He said, it's the narcotics. I said, what do you mean? He said, uh, my cancer's back and I'm on narcotic painkillers. And two weeks later he was dead. Um, so we, we cannot know if his bad diet caused his cancer in the first place, or if his diet change is really what cured him. And we can't know if he'd still be alive today if, he, if he'd stuck with a healthy diet. But we do know that diet actually does change hormones, including the sex hormones that will drive prostate cancer and, and also breast cancer. And there is no danger to a healthy diet with rice and vegetables and fruits and, and legumes and so forth. And we should really be, be putting this to work. What a powerful story. I do remember him. I do remember that book. I didn't know what happened to him ultimately. But I, I want to ask you a, a kind of phase two question. So he recovered with macrobiotics and people who don't know what that is. It's, it's a lot of, as you said, rice vegetables, very much cooked. They use a lot of soy sauce, pretty liberal with the salty stuff, very little fruit. And other people have healed from cancer and other seemingly intractable conditions using a raw food diet, maybe you know more nuts and seeds than a lot of us eat. And, and other people are strictly SOS and the kind of salt that Tony was getting in macrobiotics, they'd be saying, ah, oh, this is terrible. So how, how does one know what to do? Even if somebody wants to do something unconventional, there seems to be differences of opinion even there. How does one know where to go? Yeah, what a wonderful question. Um, there are differences, but there are also some very strong commonalities. Um, what you notice in all of these groups is they are very much down on dairy products. Do not have dairy. Um, you, the macrobiotic people are very strong about that, and, and frankly, so is everybody else. Um, they're also opposed to eating meat. Uh, some macrobiotic people will, will include very small amounts of fish or something like that, and many do not. Um, and so why it is that um, some will say, well, fruit is fine, and the others will say, no, we're gonna, we're gonna favor vegetables. I think the commonalities are very strong. They're very, very heavily plant-based, either almost exclusively or exclusively. And they're also foods that are fairly natural and without, without a lot of processing and so forth. So all that is, all that is to the good. It is indeed. So I'm going to ask you something else before we get back to hormones. But because you've spoken many times about low fat <clears throat> in this call so far, right. I was just playing around on Google and saw that one of their sample questions was, how do I unclog my arteries? And in the answer from, I won't even say the name of, of the answer, it was some health something, some kind of publication or organization. And most of the advice was pretty solid that anybody would agree with. But the very first thing they said was, people are still recommending yes. more unsaturated fats and 
how how is a layperson who doesn't have a fabulous plant-based doctor that they respect and admire know what to do with that kind of conflicting information? Okay, um, I think a way to think of it is that these are sort of steps along along a continuum. If you're eating animal products, um, that's probably the worst kind of thing. And if a person is transitioning from butter to olive oil, that's a really good shift. Uh, you've greatly reduced the saturated fat content of the diet. Um, there's no cholesterol in it. There's no there's no hormones. There's no estrogen in the olive oil. So that that was a good shift. However, what you discover is that there, although well, let me give you some numbers uh, for say chicken fat. About 30% of the chicken fat itself is saturated fat, the bad fat. Going to olive oil, it's not 30%. It's down to about 14. That's good. But on the other hand, if I'm cooking with vegetable broth instead of even olive oil, I've cut it to zero. Um, so a, a switch to vegetable oil, I think of as kind of a, a halfway point to it. And if a person is trying to reverse diabetes or if a person is um, really trying to lose weight, they're going to have trouble if they don't reduce the vegetable oils. But the reason that I mentioned it earlier when I was talking about, um, say, the young woman with cramps, there, there are really three issues here. One is that dairy products have estrogens. The estrogens thicken up the lining of the uterus, and that causes more pain at the end of the end of the, the month. The second is that you need fiber um, because that will help your body to eliminate the excess estrogens. But the third is for reasons we don't understand, a high-fat diet gets estrogen out of whack. Um, and this, there were some really good studies done at Tufts University where they brought in 48 women, they hospitalized them, they, they fed them, they, they couldn't go out to eat, they had to stay in the ward, and they, 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 uh, gave, they prepared all their meals. If they eat- Let's stop with all the meals, we're gonna have a hard stop in just a very few seconds, hold on to that thought, we'll pick it up after the break. The book is Your Body in Balance. We'll be back with more with Dr. Neil Barnard right after this. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. A quick shout out here in the middle to our worthy sponsor, that's lovecompliment.com. They have two really helpful products by vegans for vegans, a full complimentary supplement called Compliment Plus. That's what I take every single day. And for those wanting to at least cover the basics, Original Complement is an easy way to get your vitamin B12, D3, and fully formed omega-3 fatty acids 
in a simple spray. So you can find both of those products at lovecomplement.com. Put Main Street Vegan with a plus sign in the discount box for the full supplement and just Main Street Vegan in caps for the compliment spray and you will save yourself some money. Now, as we return to our very special guest, I do want to let people in the New York City area know that Dr. Barnard is coming to town. So February 4th, 2020, he will be at the Marlene Meyerson Jewish Community Center on the Upper West Side. You can check that out. And also the next night on the 5th, he will be at the Church of Advent Hope, a Seventh-day Adventist church, also Upper West Side. So um, we'll put all that information on the show notes at MainStreetVegan.net. You can meet Dr. Barnard and you can get an autographed copy of the book we're discussing right now, Your Body in Balance, The New Science of Food, Hormones, and Health by Dr. Bernard with wonderful menus and yummy recipes from food stylist Lindsay Nixon. So Dr. Bernard, you were telling us something important when we had to cut out. Well, actually, let me brag about Lindsay Nixon for a minute, for just okay. a minute. Since, you, right. since you mentioned, since you mentioned um, Lindsay S. Nixon, as many people know, she's uh, all over the internet as the happy herbivore. And she's a great, great, great recipe developer because she makes recipes that are uh, quick and, and familiar, but also super tasty. So anyway, I asked her if she would join me uh, in in this book and she made 65 beautiful recipes. Anyhow, she sent me the recipes and they're, they're wonderful, they're great. Um, but she also sent a note saying, Dr. Brenner, I didn't tell you this, that she said, I myself had had terrible hormonal imbalances with terrible cramps and, and, and really suffered. And the diet change has, she said, has for me been just life changing. And I thought, you know, this is really um, so common that people are, are, are feeling very much out of balance and they're discovering that the solution is right at their fingertips uh, once they know what it is. So anyway, I just want to say a big thank you to Lindsay and for the work that she has done and for joining me in this book. Terrific. Uh, okay, so what were we talking about? We were talking about fat, weren't we? About uh, yeah, we were talking about fat and, and you had talked about three things and then you said the people were given food. Okay. Okay. All right. So this was a Tufts University um, where they found that if, if people are, if women are given extra fat in their diet, we do not know why, but their estrogen levels rise. And that's going to increase the risk of breast cancer later um, and, and increase the risk of all of all estrogenic things. So uh, we do know that it's to get hormones back into the sweet spot, to dial them back into harmony. Um, you need a high fiber diet. That means vegetables, beans, whole grains, fruits, um, and it's really good to get away from the fats. Um, some people say, well, but you know, a little extra virgin olive oil is good. Keep in mind, there is no faucet on the olive tree. Um, <laughs> to, to get olive oil, you have to take 10,000 olives and throw away all of the fiber and the pulp, and you just concentrate the oil. And whoever came up with the word virgin for olive oil, I think they should get an award because it is such a completely nonsensical, ridiculous term that has nothing to do with what you're selling, but it makes everyone think that it's somehow healthy. Um, there's nothing wrong with eating an olive, but if you're eating olive oil, it's kind of the equivalent of eating, taking sugar cane and extracting the sugar and calling that natural. So anyway, there you have it. It's better than butter, but not as good as not eating it. Got it. Thank you so very much. Now, there's also a connection between fat and type 2 diabetes, which absolutely surprises the heck out of everybody. 
And interestingly enough, you go into some detail on diabetes in this book about hormones. So tell us why and then tell us what you say. Okay, well, insulin is a hormone. Uh, your body has lots of hormones. We've talked so far about estrogens and testosterone, but insulin is a hormone too. And, and what a hormone is, a hormone is like a letter that goes from one place to another. So in the case of estrogens, the letter, the, 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 the estrogens go from the ovaries to the uterus or to the breast. Uh, in the case of, of insulin, the insulin is made in the pancreas, which is right behind your belly button. And then it goes out through the bloodstream to reach your muscle cells and it reaches your liver and its job there, insulin's job is to open up the cell to let glucose get into the cell. And if a person has a rising blood sugar and all they're thinking about is, well, I, maybe I shouldn't eat sugar or shouldn't eat bread, you're, you're missing the whole issue, which is why is your insulin not working right? And here's the thing, and I'm hoping that anybody who has, got, has diabetes will listen to what I'm about to say or anybody who knows somebody who has diabetes or anybody who's thinking about it, please listen to this. The reason type two diabetes starts as insulin resistance, meaning that muscle cells and liver cells aren't responding to insulin. And the reason is not because you're eating sugar and it's not because you're eating carbohydrate, it's because fatty foods are contributing fat into the bloodstream that packs inside the muscle cells and stops insulin from working. We know this because you can do uh, what's called an MR, magnetic resonance spectroscopy scan, and you can see the fat inside the muscle cells. And when I put you on a diet that has no animal fat at all and keeps vegetable oils very low, that fat will start to drain out and your insulin will start working again. So I wanna get your, horm your insulin hormone repaired rather than kind of cater to it by just avoiding sugary foods, for example. Wow, that is important information. Now, we've talked about some of the problems that young people have with the menstrual issues and that, but another thing that I hear so much from young women, really all women, all ages and men as well, depression and anxiety. Can food do anything to help our moods? Well, you know, we had a funny experience with that. Um, we, we, were, we were doing a research study with Geico, the car insurance company, mm -hmm. and it was to help people with, depression, uh, with, with diabetes and weight problems. And in the course of this study where we, we just, it was at work, people were Geico employees and at lunch, they would come down and attend a vegan class um, and they had vegan food in the cafeteria. And these are people who went all vegan all the time for, I think it was 18 weeks. They lost weight, their diabetes got better, but their mood started to change. And we were tracking it uh, with questionnaires and their depression, if they had depressive symptoms, they were getting better. If they had anxiety symptoms, they were getting better. And then we also just looked at job absenteeism and that was getting better. And we thought, what is it about this diet? And we started looking at other research teams and they were all finding the same thing kind of unexpectedly. Now you'd think a vegan diet would make you depressed because when you're vegan, you get annoy, annoying questions you have to deal with all the time. <laughs> like, where do you get your protein? You know, and um, what if I'm blood type O? You think that would be depressing to anybody to have to put up with all that. But vegans actually seem to be less depressed than other people. Um, and I think there are two primary reasons for this. One is that it's an anti-inflammatory diet. It, you're taking irritating foods out of, out of the diet and, and the inflammation in the body slows down and the brain can actually suffer from inflammation too. And we now know that inflammation contributes to depression. But the other thing is, is the gut microbiome. 
the bacteria in your gut change when you're on a plant-based diet and they change to being more friendlier bacteria that are less likely to make maladaptive compounds that affect your brain. So I think that's the reason for the better mood. Well, that's exciting. And you do have a wonderful uh, sidebar in here, foods for better moods, a lot of the things that you've said. You also say have plant protein rich foods like tempeh, uh, tofu or beans, especially at breakfast. Why would it make a difference at breakfast? Um, this is simply something that I have noticed and people can try if they wish to. Um, I'm, let's say you're finding that you're a little bit irritable, um, feeling kind of crabby or a little bit depressed. Try, try this. If your breakfast is really just starchy, you're having a bagel every day for breakfast or just oatmeal or something like that. Uh, try some plant protein early in the meal and early in the day. So it's like the first thing you eat. And now when I say plant protein, uh, one of the ones that works really well is you go to the store and get some tempeh, slice it thin as, as if it's bacon, but it's, it's tempeh, a, a fermented soy product. And you marinate it in a little uh, soy sauce and just throw it on a, on a no oil grill or fry pan and let it cook on both sides and then just keep them in a little plastic tub and you can zap it every morning. And it's, it's, it's kind of like bacon, but unlike bacon, there's no animal fat in it. There's no cholesterol in it. There's no hormones in it. Um, but you will discover that by having the plant protein first, your mood tends to be a little bit better, not only in the morning, but kind of all day long. Um, if PMS is rearing up, uh, you might try the same trick. Uh, there's a brain researcher in Boston who, I, who I've spoken with about this. And what he feels is happening is that the serotonin uh, changes in the brain are being modulated by the use of plant protein in this way. Okay. So um, uh, don't take my word for it. Don't take it on faith. Just give it a try and see if it helps you. And, and don't do it with animal protein. That does more harm than good. Absolutely. So you've also talked about thyroid problems in this book. Something else that, you know... I, my mother talked about having thyroid issues back when I was a kid a long time ago. She was the only person I'd ever heard of that had thyroid trouble. And now every other person seems to have it. Why is it so ubiquitous and what can food do? Yeah, um, it's, it's a mysterious thing because you feel tired. And you have lots of reasons for feeling tired. Um, you're feeling stressed out, uh, you're gaining weight, and there's a million reasons why that could be so. So you go to the doctor and uh, it's not a surprise to have all these issues because so many do, but then your doctor does a blood test and your doctor says, it looks like your thyroid is not really performing very well. And the doctor may not do anything after the first test, but if it just continues, the doctor is gonna at some point want to deal with this. Um, your thyroid is your energy source. It's at the base of your neck and it creates thyroid hormone that if you don't have it, you're gonna feel sluggish and, and cold, physically cold. Um, you might gain weight and just and your skin and hair will change. Um, the biggest reason for this worldwide is a lack of iodine because iodine is needed to make thyroid hormone. In the US, that's not super common because back in 1924, the Morton company put out packages of salt with a little girl and an umbrella on them. And it was iodized salt. And that kind of knocked out, it, it, that gave people the iodine they needed. Um, if you're taking Himalayan salt or um, sea salt, that doesn't have iodine, but sea vegetables have a lot of it. So nori and wakame and arame and all the other wonderful sea vegetables have lots of it. So get, you, you need to get iodine. Um, the second thing though, and the bigger reason for an, uh, low thyroid in the United States is that 
there's an antibody reaction. Somehow the body is making antibodies to the thyroid and we think that foods are the trigger for that probably. And evidence in favor of this comes from the Adventist Health Study 2, which showed that people who consume no animal products at all are at lower risk for both hypothyroidism and hyperthyroidism. Those who eat a lot of dairy are at higher risk for uh, hypothyroidism and people who are omnivores are at particularly high risk for hyper. So um, give it a try. We need more research in this area in my view, but it does look like uh, when people go to a plant-based diet, they are less likely to develop it. And we've seen a lot of people where their thyroids recover with this uh, diet change. So give it a try. That is one of the exciting things about being in this world, doing this show, talking to people like you, all of these conditions that, that we thought maybe you could halt them, but reversible, you know, even the cure word is, is coming up in ways that I just never thought I would live to see. So that's very cool. Oh, now, let me you, tell you, Victoria, it's, it's amazing. Uh, on, 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 on Wednesday night, when I'm at the Adventist church, uh -huh. I'm speaking, I'm going to be joined. Oh, I, I think at both events, in fact, I think at the JCC on Tuesday also, um, there's a, a, a woman named Wendy who I described in the oh, book. I and, love and, and, Wendy. Do you know Wendy? She's going to join me because <laughs> she had the, she had the most, she, she, she's, a, she's a film producer. She's yeah. a very busy, busy person, but she was feeling not herself. She was feeling yeah. wired and and her weight was changing and she, and she said, there's something wrong with me. She went to the doctor and she was hyperthyroid. Her thyroid was just overtime. Um, and to, she ended up going to a nutrition lecture to help her mother. But in the course of the lecture, she thought, I'm gonna do this myself. And so she threw out the, the animal products. I think she also went gluten-free as well. And her thyroid just settled down completely. Um, and of course, to her doctor, this would be absolutely miraculous. Doctors are ready to give you radioactive iodine and all kinds of things to destroy the, uh, the thyroid, and she's fine. So anyway, I, I've invited Wendy to come and tell her story, so she'll be there. Oh, that's wonderful. And I, I love it when as huge as our movement is getting, sometimes a name will come up and it still will be somebody that I know. So that's cool. So how about all the chemicals and just the junk in the environment, what kind of role does that play? Yeah, um, it, it's, it's a role that continues to be redefined. I have historically tried to say, look, don't worry too much about chemical exposures in the environment because the chemicals on your plate, that's a big pile of them. And let's sort that out first. Having said that, uh, industry has been so creative at finding ways to put chemicals that we don't want back into our lives. And um, there's an interesting story with, with Progresso soup. Um, if you, if you, researchers asked a group of volunteers to have some Progresso soup every day, vegetable soup. And they found that in urine samples, they discovered a compound called BPA, it's bisphenol A, um, which is in the lining of the can. They then did the experiment again with a, a soup made from scratch and there wasn't any BPA in their urine. And the problem is that BPA can lead to sexual uh, dysfunction, it might increase estrogens, and it's in the, the lining of, frankly, most of the cans that you buy. So here's the bad part. You go to the health food store and you say, I don't want that stuff. I'm gonna get uh, a can of soup, but it's BPA free. And it's right there on the shelf, it says BPA free. So you put it in your shopping cart and you go to the cashier and you check out and then uh, you walk out with your, your credit card slip in your hand. As you're going to your car, 
BPA is in the credit card slip because it's thermal paper and it's going through your skin into your bloodstream. Um, yes. And so anyway, I wrote a whole chapter on where common chemical exposures come from and how you can avoid them. Okay. One it's surprising. More thing. Well, I think once you know about it, I mean, when I learned about the, the receipt thing, I was utterly shocked. You know, Joanne Farb out, out in Kansas City, one of her brilliant daughters did a, I think, a science fair project on that. And I'm thinking, you know, you can learn from teenagers, you can learn from everybody. And just, um, you know, started saying no to receipts. It's amazing what, uh, what we do to have better lives. So as you look at this, this whole world of, of hormonal well-being, just give us three takeaways that will absolutely make our lives better and our hormones more balanced. Okay. Um, first of all, it's important to know that, that this, is, this is real and it's important and it affects so many aspects of our lives. Uh, when people follow a healthful diet, luckily the same diet change affects all of your hormones in a beneficial way. The same diet that gets insulin in better shape so that one is less likely to have diabetes or if somebody has PCOS, insulin is an issue there too. That same diet will help sex hormones get into better balance. It's the same diet that protects your thyroid. So you don't need one diet for a healthy thyroid and another diet for a healthy sex life or, or whatever. It's the same diet. The second point I guess I'd say is if you are new to this, break the process of change into two, two steps. Step one is take a week and just try some plant-based foods for each meal, for breakfast, lunches, and dinner to try to identify something you would actually eat if you if you were following a vegan diet. So if every day you have cornflakes with milk, go to the store and maybe try some almond milk or oat milk or soy milk or whatever it is. And so your goal for this week is to just identify vegan foods that you would actually enjoy and write them down. And now after that week is done, the second step is to actually eat those foods and don't eat any animal products now. For three weeks, do a vegan diet, but that's easy because you already picked out the foods you like. And at the end of three weeks, you are going to be a different person. It's amazing to see. But I do have one more takeaway, Victoria, if I may. And sure. that is, that is, I hope that the people listening to this benefit, and I hope their health is improved. But there's actually something that's more important than that. And that is, you know, a 12-year-old kid or a 14-year-old kid or a 16-year-old person who is in school, and they're eating chicken nuggets every day. And on the way home from school, they stop at the 7-Eleven, get some string cheese. When they get home, their uh, parents put a frozen pizza in the oven. And then as time goes on, they start to develop, let's say it's a teenage girl, she starts to develop cramps. Um, they might start gaining weight. They get acne that's kind of off the scale. Uh, then when they're starting to start their own families, the, uh, infertility is often an issue. They never connect the foods to the symptoms that they're having. They go to the doctor who doesn't know. And the only way, there's, o there's only one way that we are gonna interrupt this, and that's to make noise. So if we read a book like Your Body in Balance, I think that's great, but better than reading it is to share this information with other people. Um, let them know, get on the social media and say, here's a new recipe, here's a new website, here's a new product. Um, this is what worked for me. If we do that, you have more power than any f bad food company could ever have. So my message here is let's make some noise. Let's share this far and wide. What great advice and something that I'm suggesting that people do with a great book like Your, your Body in Balance 
is to donate it to libraries when you're done with it or buy a second copy, get it into a library. I have learned that the average library book is checked out 200 times. So, and you just think about the number of people who would read it and talk to their friends. That's really, really seeding this effort and, and this information out into the world. So another thing, Dr. Barnard, is physicians, many of whom are so wonderful, thanks to Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine and other great people doing great things, but the bulk of them haven't quite caught on yet. So when you talk with your colleagues about all this, what kind of response do you get? Well, initially there was more skepticism, but I want to tell you, Victoria, things are changing and they're changing fast. Um, we have for the past eight years or something like that had an annual conference here in Washington. And it's in August when it's most sweltering, as you can imagine, the rooms are packed. Uh, we have a thousand or more doctors. It would just make your heart sing to see a thousand doctors all just saying, this is what I want to do. Um, and it, it, and each of them in turn is reaching so many patients and their families. And the thing I have to say from a medical standpoint that I really like is if you give metformin to a diabetes patient, that doesn't do anybody any good except for that one patient. But if you teach the patient how to do a plant-based diet, that affects the patient, it affects their spouse, it affects their parents. Everybody starts learning from this. And um, it is the most amazing thing to see. So, so yes, there, there are still doctors who haven't figured it out yet, but there are more and more who have. And, and for those who are wondering about it, we do have free online, our 21 Day Vegan Kickstart program. It's in English and in Spanish. It's a free app on your phone. Um, also, on your, uh, we have a free app called the Nutrition Guide for Clinicians. Uh, it's got 90 chapters. It's for doctors and medical students, the Nutrition Guide for Clinicians, and also Nutrition CME, as in Continuing Medical Education, nutritioncme.org. And all of these are brought, brought to you with the kind donations that people make to the Physicians Committee's work. We're, we're a nonprofit, and we, we're uh, putting our resources to changing the world if we can. And you're certainly one of my favorite organizations because you're doing so much about plant-based diet and health, but you've also done so much about getting animal experiments to train doctors out of those schools. So you really bring what I think a lot of people think of it, the two sides of this, the, the ethical side and the health side together. Yes, and, 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 the, and the two aren't entirely separate. If a medical student in the second year of medical school is forced to kill a dog in an experiment, which they asked me to do. And all everybody in my class was asked to do this. And I, I was a refusenik. I, I said, I was a little bit of a cocky student. I said, I, I do not need to kill anybody to be a doctor. Um, but, but if you force the student to do that, you're number one, taking them away from human medicine. They're, they're, they're now becoming sort of a veterinarian. And secondly, you're killing compassion. And, and doctors need to remember that life is an important thing. So we were very glad as of 2016, we had managed to eliminate every animal use from every medical school in the United States and Canada for, for the curriculum up to the MD degree. But we're still working on some of them for during residency. But we're, we're winning and, and we're making huge progress there too. Well, you're very good at making progress. That just seems to be, you know, you get in the mood and you start. <laughs> <laughs> you go forward because you don't stop. It's it's absolutely incredible. So everybody, the book is Your Body in Balance, The New Science of Food, Hormones, and Health. So just in our last couple of minutes, tell me something that you're so excited about and you never, 
ever would believe could be happening when you were sitting back in medical school? <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, I have to say, when I was in medical school, I, I got there and my, my dad, my dad grew up in the cattle business and he did not like it. And he left and he, he left the business. He went to medical school and he became the diabetes expert for Fargo, North Dakota. But I want to tell you, I never, ever once heard him say when he'd come in the door after a day, he'd set down his medical bag. I never heard him say that anyone with diabetes ever got better. He never said I cured somebody with diabetes. It never, never. He just expe expected them to gradually worsen. And he was trying to kind of soften the, the blow of the disease. But when we started to do the research that we've done, we started seeing something that I didn't, I wasn't prepared for. And that was the disease going away. Uh, so that a person didn't have it anymore. And I realized that in the same way as you can, your skin will heal if you cut yourself. And if you break a bone, your bone will heal. But the healing process is embedded in the body, throughout the body, it's not perfect. And our bodies are fragile and things will happen no matter what. But that healing process is the most powerful thing. And we have to get out of its way. And that means feed your body healthy healing foods. Um, and you can just see the, the miracle of the body uh, blossom. God, that is beautiful. Well, we talked about that doctor using the word miracle when that was not the proper word, but this time it is. And thank you for being a miracle maker, Dr. Neil Barnard, Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine. Next week, everybody, we have Ingrid Newkirk, who heads up PETA. Wowie, wowie. I'm excited. Says my dog, says my rescue pigeon. See you all next week. Be happy, be healthy, be vegan. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. I'm Michelle Phillips, a celebrity makeup artist, beauty expert, self-confidence coach, and Hay House author. My podcast, Beauty and Beyond, is the place for women navigating the challenges of the aging process. Listen in for my professional advice, as well as my expert guests, as we share valuable tips, practical tools, and empowering resources to help you not only look amazing, but also live an amazing life part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network and available wherever you get your podcasts.